Where does Zip go to find inspiration for faster wheels? The ocean, of course. Really, the idea for this kind of came from uh, from actually whales uh, looking at, at, uh, at tubercles um, on humpback whale fins. And uh, that variable shape that they have on the leading and trailing edges of those fins. And we visit with a bike maker with a heritage name and a sense of adventure. There's a thing happening right now is adventure. We're, we all want to, basically things are being designed around having an adventure, whether it be in the city, whether it be out in the woods, you know, uh, just about anywhere you want. So that's kind of where we're going. Line, the podcast on two wheels, the podcast elected to a second term at the mic. And since we are the incumbent, the cabinet will remain in place. That is provided you two are up for more of this <laughs> pace line madness. Uh, fatty at fatcyclist.com, would you like to give the acceptance speech? My fellow Americans, if elected, or I guess since I've been elected, I promise more single track in every Ooh. home. I can get behind that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe You're not in every home, but or in any homes, but more single track for sure. Dude, imagine single track in your house. Ah. Oh, that would be really good. I could. You suddenly want to vote for me, don't you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, Patrick Brady, publisher of redkiteprayer.com and Paceline Prime Minister. I take it uh, some lesser podcast, Patrick, has called to concede to us. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm unaware of that. I just want to talk about bicycles. We can all agree about on, on those. Yes, we can. Uh, I'm Michael Houghton, Paceline Press Secretary. Uh, this is the uh, post-election edition of the Paceline. And look, we know there's a lot of confusion out there, some anger, maybe some uh, joy in the outcome. The Paceline, though, folks, is a nonpartisan show. We don't care who you support just as long as you keep sticking us in your ears. Right, guys? I mean... We're it. We're Amen. hyper-partisan for bikes. And on that note, there were some uh, pretty decent uh, number of bike issues on the ballot. Over $8 billion in bike funding at stake on election night. One of the biggest uh, here in my backyard was Measure M. That was a half-cent sales tax for transportation needs. Um, and that tax would, uh, or the measure that is, dedicated $3.9 billion for bike infrastructure. And it did pass. So uh, win one for bikes in, in L.A. County. Measure B also has been approved by voters in Silicon Valley. That's another sales tax. Generate, sales tax that generates a $6 billion in total with a quarter million going to bikes. And Measure D in Santa Cruz County also passed. Sales tax means uh, $100 million for bicycles. Uh, Fatty, in your neck of the woods, Washington County, Utah, where, where is that exactly? St. George or something like that? Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, the county that has a hurricane in it where there is some fantastic desert riding. Uh, voters there turning back a quarter cent sales tax to increase uh, transportation funding. Hmm. Prop 1 made no promises to the bike community, but had it passed, the opportunity would have been there to add like bike lanes and bike paths to a list of projects. The problem probably for Prop 1 is that it, it had no expiration date, which gives voters the willies, usually. The tax would have, add, uh, would have cost the average shopper, that is, about an extra $40 a year. 
in Grand Haven, Michigan, a bike, an actual bike path was on the ballot. Voters there uh, favor increasing property taxes, $25 per 100000 of assessed value with all the money going to a 2.7-mile bike path extension. There's matching funds here involved, too. Uh, the bicycle path millage proposition was the only one where voters were asked to decide on a specific bike project. You can um, check out uh, all the bike propositions that were on, on the ballot for Election Day over at RKP. We'll have a link um, below uh, this podcast at brightkiteprayer.com in our show notes. Uh, Scratch Labs, guys, came out against a measure in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado, that aimed to tax sugary drinks. These uh, you know, sugary uh, taxes on sugary drinks have become... Uh, somewhat popular, Berkeley, California, passed one recently. The measure was called 2H. It, along with three similar measures in the San Francisco Bay Area, passed. The problem Scratch had with 2H, it did not take into account modified versus uh, natural sweeteners. In other words, the measure made no distinction Hmm. between the likes of high fructose corn syrup and fructose from real fruit, like what is found in Scratch. Um, 2H doesn't tax the amount of sugar in drinks, but rather the volume of liquid. This is another problem that Scratch Labs had with the issue. Now, unfortunately, 2H, or unfortunate for, for Scratch, it is 2H did pass, um, even though uh, the likes of uh, Scratch and others came out against it. But, uh, you know, that is that some of the... Is that just part of what we're going to have to deal with if we have to go up, uh, up against sugary drinks and, and try to watch out for folks and how much they're ingesting? Uh, that some of the things that could get caught up in these in these bands or these taxes would be the likes of Scratch or the other nutrition companies that we consume. Could be. I'd Sounds never like considered it. the possibility that any sort of tax on sugary drinks would catch energy drinks in its sights. I you know I just never given it any thought and it's. Um, you know, I mean, this is one of those times when I can agree with people who start crying foul about the nanny state. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with Scratch. You know, given its intended purpose and what that product does, um, to to think that it is in some way a, a risk to our health is just topsy-turvy with reality. So I'm disappointed mm-hmm. to hear this. I guess there's nothing wrong with a Coke if you're out, you know, climbing 8,000 feet in a day, um, <laughs> right? I mean, so... Well, there are people who would disagree with you. I mean, you know, they're out there. There are people who think, you know, uh, Coca-Cola is just the work of the devil. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's not an argument I want to have, but I'm willing to argue on behalf of a product like Scratch Labs, you know? Sure. It's, it, it is, you know, in its very nature, a pretty healthy drink. So, yep. uh, you know, this is just dumb, but these things happen. <laughs> yeah, it does. It happens. Anyhow, 2H did pass in Boulder. Uh, Charles Pelkey, Paceline guest, RKP contributor, Wyoming State Representative, one of the good guys. He represents Albany County, including Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, he won <laughs> last <laughs> night. Uh, he was a guest of, of the Paceline. In fact, Patrick interviewed him a couple shows ago. Very good guy. One of our favorites around here. What a close vote, Patrick. 1,893 votes for Charles. He won by 150 votes. That's a close one. You know, it's a better than 10% margin, which is better than an awful lot of politicians have done. So congratulations to him. Yeah. Congrats to Charles. 
He said, it was close, too damn close, but on a night like this, I am relieved that I kept House District 45 in Democratic hands. So congratulations to our man, Charles Pelkey. Uh, Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson, uh, a man you brought up, uh, brought to my attention, Fatty, during one of our shows, did uh, come up short in his bid for the White House, which means he will have more time to train for his other stated goal, riding the Tour Divide. That's, of course, the race along the Continental Divide from Banff, Alberta, to Antelope Wells, New Mexico. 2,700-plus miles of gravel and single track, a lot of climbing, too. Uh, Johnson did pretty good in the polls, actually, for, you know, the third-party candidate. He got 10% at times during some of the polls. Yep. That's the best, actually, third-party candidate in 20 years. He, you know, he showed up on some radars. He did. And, yeah. And now he's going Uh, to get to do... Uh, a ride that, frankly, I would love to go do sometime. It, the mm. the divide looks like an amazing uh, way to spend. What I guess it depends how fast you are, but anywhere between a week and a month, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it definitely requires having some uh, some free time. <laughs> <laughs> most folks wouldn't knock that out in a week. Uh, most wouldn't even knock it out in two weeks. I don't think. Well, how serendipitous uh-huh. that he doesn't have to run a country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he should count his blessings that he wasn't elected. Otherwise, he'd never get the chance to do it. That's right. That- well, had the race for the White House been a physical test, Johnson probably would have wiped them out. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yes. I noticed that this, ahead, was, this was the first election where uh, neither of the main party candidates was ever shown jogging. Is, right, we, we had one guy here. Um, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. no. We had uh, the one guy who ran a bike race, and the Democrat uh, was photographed riding a bicycle once in a while, but definitely didn't pick it up in her. No, Gary, she, she was no Johnson, that's for sure, Gary Johnson. And, uh, and this guy, incredible. He's done four Ironmans. Um, He's done the seven summits, wow, including Everest. And Fatty, I, I was reading up on him this past week. I, I, and I, you would know, I've never seen him in Leadville. I've been there four or five. It says he's completed eight Leadvilles. Really? And I'm, I'm assuming that's the mountain bike race. He loves the bike, so. Yeah, I, I would assume that he hasn't done the 100-mile running race. I don't know what kind of a runner he is. But, yeah, he's he's definitely more of a bike guy. No, I'll have to look that up. I, I wasn't aware that he had uh, done Leadville at all. Maybe we'll mm. see him in August. Yeah, getting ready for the Tour Divide. Good way to do it. Okay. Well, that, that'll wrap up our election coverage here on the Pace Line. Thank uh, goodness. Yeah, it, it's all over now, folks. Time to get back to riding. And put this uh, put this one behind us. Uh, coming up, uh, we do a little more dreaming, and and one of those sweet dreams involves some sweet wheels. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Charles Pelkey. I'm an elite part of a, an elite group known as the Very Lonely Nine. In other words, I'm a Democrat in the Wyoming House of Representatives. The 
The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, fatty of fatcyclist.com, Patrick Brady, redkiteprayer.com. Both of them are here. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. Guys, we ran an election of our own last week, or last show, that is, with our Dream Bike survey. I guess we should say it was more like a poll than anything else. And we asked folks, you know, at the end of that survey to suggest maybe things that they'd like us to to, you know, reach out to people about hmm. you know, for future surveys and polls. For instance, Quentin, one of our Paceline listeners, suggested we uh, ask what types of riding people do. Uh, in other words, different surfaces, different bikes, mm-hmm. how much of each. Uh, or here's one that we've actually talked about on the show. How involved are your is your family in cycling? Do you ride with your spouse or your kids in addition to... You know, your enthusiastic side, your your competitive side. Now we could combine uh, so, those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. Uh, Jimmy suggested a more tech-related survey, um, specifically, uh, and I know, Patrick, this is something that you have brought up before, tire sizes. What are people going with? And he really has a focus on mountain bike, the mountain bike side of things. Is it 27 and a half? Is it 29? What about all the plus tires on, on <laughs> with both of those there's, i mean there's ton there's just it, it's it's an area of of the bike industry that needs to be sorted out I and mean, we need a shakedown <laughs> don't we it's like trying to pick a novel in a good bookstore well and i think you know the, the one thing we talked about at the end of our survey fatty yesterday was really how valuable the information is that we gather i mean it's it's genuinely good information for anyone looking at product development and how they might move forward with ideas for the bike industry. What back to the dream bike survey? Just sum it up for us. What are the the big takeaways from that survey? Well, you know, different people will bring diff- take away different things from that survey. But the things I noticed from it that really, I guess, caught my eye was uh, road. More people are interested or have a road bike in their you know in their dream bike uh, dreams realistic that is a lot of our bikes you know a lot of the dream bikes are under five thousand dollars meaning the people are dreaming about bikes that they actually hope to get someday and beautiful um i was actually a little bit surprised by this because i am a real dream bike pragmatist and hardly think about what my bike looks like at all but having their dream bike be gorgeous is one of the top criteria that they want to be able to not just enjoy the way it rides, but the way that they, you know, the way it looks in their, in their garage or in their room or wherever that we love to stare at our bikes. And I understand that. I, I confess, I will go into my garage from time to time and just sort of find myself staring going, Good heavens, these are beautiful. So, of course, yeah. <laughs> we I mean, love to duh. look at our bikes. And I mean, who knows whether it's a Pavlovian response or what. But yeah, there's, uh, there is an aesthetic to them that, uh, that we definitely can't get away from. Nor you know, do we I want used, to. When I used to work in bike shops and people would say, you know, I really kind of like the blue one better. I know you say this one over here is kind of the best value, but I really like that blue. I'd always look back at people and say, look, I've never bought an ugly bike and you shouldn't either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One of the ways I've found that is the best way to break the ice when you're in a a group ride or in an event or when you just happen to come across another rider is say, 
hey, that's a really nice bike. And you can always say that with honesty because everyone thinks that their bike is nice and people accept and appreciate that compliment. So yeah, we absolutely we love, we love our bikes to be beautiful. And, you know, a lot of us are pretty obsessive about taking care of and keeping them clean and looking nicer than they need to from a mechanical perspective, right? That we, we clean them so they are showroom quality. And well, duh. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's not because of it performs better, but because we just love the way they look. So, uh, can I can I just just one moment? I want to go back and and note the inherent irony of a phrase that you turned um, dream bike pragmatist. Yeah, <laughs> I that's a that's a wow that's a turn of phrase. It's a little bit surprising, isn't it? But, I mean, that's the way people – I mean, we were talking about dream bikes, but people were, you know, giving numbers that are achievable, right? Yep, yep. It's a, it's a little negative capability e, if I may. <laughs> but I like it. I, I do like yeah. it. I get where it's coming from. Yeah. And I, I have to totally agree with it, too. I mean, I've been on a bit of a dream bike search myself. But I'm I'm trying to be pragmatic. I've been using uh, actually uh, Patrick as a sounding board. Yeah, for this ideas is the guy who my... emails me about Ericsson. Pragmatic. Okay, All sorry. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> it is that bike lasts a long time. You know that would, if I got that bike, it would last a long time because of the man who builds it and the materials built out of. it. Oh hell mm-hmm. yes! Right. Yeah. So there's something pragmatic there. That's that's logical thinking. Um, but it's all the search has also led me to a company like Raleigh, for instance. Uh, Raleigh's not going to break the bank with any of its lineup, um, but I did get a chance to go out and ride some one of their machines recently, the Raleigh Roker, in fact. Um, and a lot of people may look at the Roker and go, "Well, that doesn't look like a dream bike, or it doesn't even sound like a dream bike." Heck, it's named after a weatherman. How could it really be a dream bike? But <laughs> dream to me can mean more than just you know, Out of a reach. visual aspect right. or how much it might cost or it's bling factor. It's what it does underneath you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why my my range, my dream bike range is really wide from an Ericsson to maybe something more, you know, uh, more useful or more, more affordable, more like a Raleigh, right. more affordable, like a Raleigh. So I did ride the Roker, really like the bike, by the way. Um, it's got that, that low bottom bracket stability that, that I'm seeking, um, actually did very well on the climbs, uh, even though it wasn't geared the way I would have set it up. So a good machine didn't fit me properly, but still I would, I had no problem handling it. Um, really a nice bag. And it got me to wondering about Raleigh and what they've been up to. Um, they have a pretty interesting and amazing number of adventure bikes in their lineup. Uh, they've really taken on this segment um, with uh, a nice diversity of bikes, for that matter. So after my test ride, I hooked up with uh, Raleigh product manager Stephen Bean to talk about Raleigh's roots and where it's going now. Stephen, thanks for being on the pace line today. You are, where did we track you down, Stephen? Well, you tracked us down at Raleigh, uh-huh. in Kent, Washington. Kent, Washington. That's where Raleigh, USA is? That's our headquarters, exactly. Cool. Now, uh, I want to tell folks that my first exposure to Raleigh was as a five-year-old in 1969. Now I've given away my age, of course. My (laughs) father bought me a Raleigh bike for Christmas. He put me on that bike. 
pushed me down the street, no training wheels, and I proceeded to crash that machine. I don't know if you have a crash replacement that's retroactive to 1969, but I did scruff up the bike pretty good. Long story short, I got training wheels, I learned how to ride a bike, and I was on my way for life, and it all started on a Raleigh. Now, mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't stay with biking uh, as an enthusiast. Um, golf got in the way. Uh, but eventually, bikes came back into my life, and that was about in the 90s. And when they did, um, Raleigh really wasn't on my radar. I didn't see the Raleigh blip show up as I sent out my feelers for bikes. Pick it up there in, in the 90s for you. What, how has Raleigh returned itself to the conversation about bikes and bike purchasing? Well, I think it basically comes from looking at what's out there. And plus, we're filled with enthusiasts here. I mean, that, that's really where it comes from. We all love to ride bikes. So when you love to ride bikes, you hopefully are going to make the bikes that you love to ride. And I think that's where some of that really came from is it's – the history, well, basically from late 80s till now, this place is filled with enthusiasts, people who love bicycles. And really, that's at the core, at core of it, I think. You're saying that Roll USA went out and hired people that were <laughs> into bikes, right? It's bikes first, and also, I think it's just the, I mean, we all love bikes. That's why we're talking right now. And, I, and that is what hopefully leads to quality product. It's just that enjoyment, that that uh, eagerness to get on the bike, and over and over again, fine fine tuning things, paying attention to markets, things like that. Mm -hmm. it, all, it all comes together that way. And if you could, could you maybe describe what the difference is Raleigh now as opposed to its early beginnings? How how is the company different or better? Well, I think I mean I mean back in 1887, I think it was basic transport. You know um, now we're into we do have obviously basic transportation but also it's really uh, there's a thing happening right now it's adventure where we all want to basically things are being designed around having an adventure whether it be in the city whether it be out in the woods you know uh just about anywhere you want so that's kind of where we're going yeah and you folks have also made a name for yourself with cross bikes and mm -hmm. that may be one of the reasons why you've had your name elevated again and, and brought back to prominence yes. is, your, is your commitment to cross. Exactly. And that's also where, uh, you know, you get to make some, you know, you really get to do some research, R&D. I mean, you have, you're dealing with some world-class athletes that can give us some fantastic feedback, along with just the love of mud. <laughs> and you got a little bit of that up in Kenton, Washington. I, I know I'm a native uh, Seattleite, so I, I, oh, I realize, well, yes, I no. realize I realize the mud you have up there, too. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought up Cross, or we brought up Cross, because that gets me to the real reason I, I reached out to you, which was your adventure series and your adventure bikes. I mean, Cross bikes, some people look at Cross bikes and consider them, well, that's just an, that's a gra that's an equal gravel grinder. Uh, what do you need a gravel bike for you? I beg to differ on that on I, that I, point. I, and, and for that reason, I reached out to Raleigh to ride uh, one of your many uh, adventure bikes. I think you're up to four now, um, which was the Roker, which I loved, by the way. It's a carbon mm -hmm. bike. It's probably your highest-end adventure bike. Um, mm -hmm. But it is distinctly an adventure bike. Now, tell us Raleigh's kind of uh, pers um, perspective on adventure bikes and, and this class of bikes that seems to be emerging. Well, I think, first of all, 
to be honest, you know, our adventure bike did evolve from cross. I mean, we learned a lot from that. But when you're riding a, well, or, or you know, all road bike or gravel bike, you know, you don't want a race bike. You want a little lower, little lower BB, little longer chain stay. You know, it's designed for that. And that's, you know, a cross bike isn't really necessarily a gravel bike. You know, it's it's its own thing. It's created for that. Mm-hmm. So why would somebody pick a an adventure bike over the cross bike? Why would you say go get that that uh, Tamiland over there, or the Stuntman, or the or the Roker? I think the main thing is the versatility and also the long term comfort. I mean, you can put some serious miles on these, and and still feel good. Also, you know, these are designed to again, it's all road. It's not just gravel. It's everything from gravel, maybe some single track, the city. I mean, there's people in New York riding these Rokers, and they love them. You know, and even around here, potholes and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the latest addition to this line of adventure bikes for Raleigh is the Stuntman. Tell us about this. This is pretty <laughs> incredible. I saw it for the first time, I think, at Interbike and also mm-hmm. down at the store here in Santa Monica, which I live close yep. to now. Tell us about the Stuntman. Well, that's basically kind of a we kind of took a monster cross approach to that. Um, it you know it has you know you know, fit, fit has comes with fifties on it for tires, um, dropper post. And the whole purpose of that is so you want to take your your graveling or off or all roading to the extreme. This is this is your bike. I mean, it's designed for that. It's just a fantastic bike. Now you have four adventure bikes. Well, right? we have yeah, we have the Stuntman, we have the Roker, we have the Tamlins, and we also have the um, one more sorry. named after a weatherman. Yeah, I have my. I'm too busy. Oh, the Willards. The Willards, are, yes. yes. Those are our alloy. Tamlins are our steel bikes, and the Rokers are our are, are, uh, carbon. So the, is the idea there to have four different price points or four different per, different performing bikes? It's, it's really a performing. Um, there are people who really love steel, which we do. We, we love steel around here. And then there are others who want the highest end. They want carbon. And then there are others who, you know what? I think the the price point on the alloy is pretty good. I like you know that that's that one's more of a price point. And that um, would be that would be the will the Willard would be the aluminum bike. Willard one and Willard two. Right. Um, and but that's a great. I mean, I, I actually ride a Willard two. That's what I ride. Right. And they handle fantastic. I mean, but this is it's the same geometry on these bikes, just different materials, and they do all feel different when you ride them. Hmm. And so it's more of a preference for what you like. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, there's a little bit of a weatherman theme going here outside of the stuntman. The other three have a, an odd alliance to, to weathermen. Yeah, you'll have to kind of like do a little uh, research on those names. Just kind of do a little Googling and you'll figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know it's, yeah, it's probably one of those things you can't w- walk around and tout. But uh, exactly, it's if people fun. put two and two together, Tamalan. Let's just say one of them yeah. called us and was really honored by it. Oh, were they? <laughs> yes. Good, I'm glad because they should be. It is, you know. Yeah. And look, these bikes, getting to the question of weather, are designed to, to survive the elements. Yes. And, and they are designed for every road. That's the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. You can go where you want. And I think, if you think about this, the bicycle it's about going somewhere and that's what these bikes are designed for. They're for going somewhere, you know, you see, you, wherever you want to go, you can go. And that's the thinking. So where do you see Raleigh going next? Uh, continuing on with more adventure. And I think we're going to even, we've been having some success with our steel. We'll probably even, uh, 
do some other things with steel. I mean, we're having a lot of really positive feedback with that. Um, we'll keep going on that adventure route. I mean, it's a wonderful, we've been, it's a, I mean, literally everyone who's ridden the bikes have positive feedback. Mm -hmm. Is there any, is there any part of this entire industry? I mean, you are reliant on component makers and tire makers and wheel makers to help mm -hmm. you make Raleigh a better brand. Is there anything that's lagging? Do you need to see some movement in bottom brackets or tires or wheels or anywhere that help you push this along? I'm starting to see some good momentum. I mean, it, you know, as it compared to two years ago when you, we wanted to do this, it's a lot different now. So it is heading down in the correct path, mm -hmm. I think. Good. That's all good so, to hear. I, yeah, and I, I think for everyone, well, it's going to be good for everyone. Yep. All right. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for being on the Pace Line. Continued success for Raleigh and, and the Adventure Line. We're, we're looking for more new adventures and maybe on a Raleigh. Well, thanks, Michael. Again, that was uh, Stephen Bean, product manager of Raleigh, and uh, we were mostly talking about uh, Raleigh's adventure bikes. Again, four of them, the Stuntman, the Tamalan, the Willard, the Roker. And so the, the weather reference there, guys, is the Roker is actually for Al Roker, and, and Tamalan, I believe there's a weatherman with the last name Tamalan, and then, of course, the Willard is Willard Scott. Sure. Um, but Raleigh can't really market the bikes that way for legal reasons but they've the names have stayed on the bikes pretty cool um patrick am i missing anything about raleigh big picture wise is there a history lesson that we should know about them or is there anything about that brand that that stands out to you over over time well i think the thing to to let the listeners know is that you know they they really rose to prominence in the u.s in the 1970s with the 10 speed boom and more recently, they decided to refocus their product line um, and their marketing on, you know, as they put it, just the fun of being a cyclist. And so they very deliberately stepped away from, you know, the high-end racing bike and kind of trying to chase that part of the market. And so their adventure bikes are very much, you know, in keeping with the, well, let's just go out and have fun on our bikes. And... Mm -hmm. You know, I've spent some time looking over the specs for the Roker and the Stuntman, and those are incredible bikes. Given the price point that they're at, we've certainly got readers at RKP who object to the five and $10,000 bikes, and I get that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, these bikes, you know, coming in at under $3,000, um, they're, they're just really fine bicycles. And... Uh, you know, from from the spec on them to uh, the the geometry, you know, and the and the uh, long sizing runs, because a lot of these bikes they're offering in you know more than six sizes, uh, which is unusual and welcome. Um, the Stuntman is a bike that if you don't review it, I'm going to. <laughs> well, I, the Roker is the one I rode, and I really did like it. Like I said, I love the way it behaved. Um, very cool bike. They, they, yeah, all the, the adventure bikes. And they, they have a massive line, too. I mean, the, the, the bike line is, is extensive. You need a kid's bike, a townie, a cruiser, a mountain bike. But I think the only thing you really don't have anymore is, you're right, Patrick, is a true race bike. Their, their road bike, their current road bike, and I forget the name. The name escapes me, is, is more like an endurance road bike. So it doesn't have that quick snappiness that you would 
fine in a true race bike. So the road bike is even a little more relaxed than than most of the race bikes go. So can check out Raleigh. I'm lucky enough. I have a Raleigh store right in in town here, but I'm told that's the only one they have so far. So Raleigh, an up and comer, a a return to prominence. Uh, Patrick, boy, you you did some dreaming this week and (laughs) you ran into one of those dreams where you just don't want to wake up from it. Tell us about what new set of Hot Wheels are coming our way. Yeah, so Zip has continued to be, you know, the the real cutting edge on wheel technology. Um, you know, they were, you know, some of the very first, uh, you know, aerodynamically engineered aero wheels. Um, and they were the company that began the revolution in terms of a rounded spoke bed for better handling and improved aerodynamics with Firecrust. And now they've come out with a new wheel called the 454 that looks a bit like an inverted uh, saw, uh, circular saw blade. It's hmm. it's a different looking wheel, that's for sure. Um, and so I got to go down to the amazing shop above category in Sausalito. Uh, this is certainly one of the finer representations of bicycle retailing in the entire country, if not the entire world. Uh, Above Category is just an incredible place, and everything Mm. is done perfectly there. And I'm pleased to count um, uh, their owner and staff uh, among our readers, as a matter of fact. But um, Zip uh, introduced the 454 there. I got to see a little presentation on it, and I got to talk with uh, a PR specialist who I've known for a while there, uh, Daniel Slusser. Uh, And Daniel took us through uh, the ins and outs of the new wheel. So I'm here with Daniel Slusser, PR specialist for SRAM Road Components and Zip. And we've just taken a look at the brand new Zip 454. Um, now, Daniel, when I met you, you were with uh, Art Cyclery. This yeah. has been a bit of a change for you. Uh, so since moving to Zip, you've been through a few different product launches. But uh, is, this, is it safe to say this is the biggest one? Oh, absolutely. Definitely the biggest one uh, for me, but not only for me, but really for the company in general. Um, this is a revolutionary product for us, and we really haven't had anything this big since Firecrest back in 2010. So uh, it's an unusual looking wheel, that's safe to say. Uh, it's a profile that we've not seen any uh, seen at all before. We'll run some images with this post, but why don't you walk uh, listeners through the shape and how you arrived at it? Yeah, so the, the shape of the rim, we call that sawtooth, and uh, it has this sort of jagged inner circumference uh, to it. And uh, each one of those uh, individual teeth we call as hyperfoils, and adjacent to those hyperfoils are, are hex fin dimples. So it's a hexagonal dimples arranged in a fin shape. And uh, what the hexfin dimples and the hyperfoils work together to do is to create a higher frequency vortex shedding. So what, what we're going for is instead of having these high amplitude, low frequency vort- vortices coming off the wheel, which ends up creating buffeting, um, what we want to do is to have uh, high frequency, low amplitude vortices that are, that are smooth. And uh, basically what they do is uh, they create a microturbulence that's on the the boundary layer of the of the wheel and so as the air passes by it it almost acts like a velcro and uh, it 
it keeps that air attached and keeps it moving smoothly over the wheel. And uh, really the idea for this kind of came from, uh, from actually whales uh, looking at, at, uh, at tubercles um, on humpback whale fins. And uh, that variable shape that they have on the leading and trailing edges of those fins, um, it allows them to maneuver um, very, very gracefully and uh, turn in a radius of just five feet, which is really amazing for an animal that's uh, the size of a bus. Uh, and so looking at, at how that works so well, you know, we, we looked into uh, biomimicry, which is, you know, the, basically the imitation of uh, structures that f- are found in nature to solve human problems. And we're seeing uh, applications of biomimicry in motorsports. We're seeing it in water sports. Um, it's, it's really big in aviation. And so uh, we, we found that with the, the tubercle design, we were able to get the best of both worlds. We were able to get aerodynamic speed and, uh, and also get control in a crosswind. And so that's really at the heart of what 454 NSW is all about, is that control and, and aerodynamic efficiency all in one. We call that aero balance. Very cool. Now, you said this was a, a four-year project. So you were working on this simultaneously as you were developing the existing NSW line. Give the readers some idea in terms of uh, the amount of time in CFD and wind tunnel uh, that you guys devoted to this project. Yeah, so in the wind tunnel, we spent 252 hours developing the 454 NSW. And if you've ever done an hour's worth of time in a wind tunnel, you know that that's a very, very long time. Um, We did 36 different prototypes. Uh, We tested up to 108 nodes um, on the inner circumference of the rim. And uh, before we settled on what we have now, which is 18 and 24 for the front and rear wheels. Um, for CFD, we did 6,000 uh, CPU hours of, uh, of CFD. And uh, yeah, so we, we took our time and we want to get this right. Now, traditionally, I know a lot of companies, as they're doing development, they'll do all their CFD time. They'll generate a prototype that they think is pretty much there. And then they'll go to the wind tunnel and do that time. The amounts of time we're talking to, we're talking about, it sounds to me like you did a bunch of CFD time. You went to the wind tunnel. You went back to CFD. Then you went back to the wind tunnel. I mean, there were a number of generations of this, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, we did 36 prototypes, as I mentioned earlier. And, and yeah, it, it worked exactly like that. So, yeah, we were just continuing to iterate. And, uh, you know, now we have the ARC wind tunnel that's just a mile from our Indianapolis facility. Yeah. And so it makes it so much easier for us to do wind tunnel testing. So, so yeah, that's, that was really key in helping us to arrive at this product. Wow. Uh, and suggested retail on these? It's a four thousand dollars for the set, so eighteen hundred for the front, twenty two hundred for the rear, and they are available separately. But nobody's going to buy them that way. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, uh, more to the point, in terms of handling, uh, you you gave us kind of a bottom line on that. Talk to, talk about that for a second. Yeah. So really, what the what the four five four NSW is all about is is having that controlled handling. So it's about having control in a crosswind, and. Uh, it's not just control its speed, really, because it's all about reducing aerodynamic drag across all the wind yaw angles. You know, when, when you look at a lot of wheels out there in the marketplace, you'll see, like, they'll, they'll show, well, at this yaw angle, it's, it's really efficient, but this other one, not so much. We won't talk about that. 
Well, with with four five four NSW, it's a. Uh, it's fast across all the yaw angles, and really the nastier the wind gets, the more sideways it gets, the better this wheel gets. And, and the more efficient it becomes, the more it shines, and easier it is to control. So that, that curve that you, you see, it, it, it goes up and up and up, and all of a sudden it falls off and then starts rising again. It's a, a much flatter presentation across that? Yeah, absolutely, especially with, uh, with respect to uh, the amount of steering input required. So um, that curve's quite a bit flatter. So um, you have a lot less pressure on the bars um, kind of pushing you in one direction or the other. And that's because we've been able to control the center of pressure. And uh, we keep that in line with uh, the steering axis of the bike. And that, that really helps to, to give the rider that added control. That's cool. So now in terms of, you know, effectively... Somebody rides 454 NSWs, they're getting what sort of speed in, you know, aerodynamic advantage relative to existing wheels and then handling equivalent to which wheels within your line? Yeah, so the handling is going to be similar to like a 303, but uh, the aerodynamics are going to be better than the 404, uh, even better than the 404 NSW. So, so we're talking about a very, very fast wheel set. Um, it's, it's not uh, aerodynamically speaking like, like an 808, for example, um, but there's other benefits to be had, and that's really in, in the wattage that you save not fighting the bike in a crosswind. You're able to bank that wattage and use that, you know, whether it's at that finish line sprint or getting up that next climb. Very cool. Uh, well, get a set to me soon so I can ride them. I'll do my best. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. That was uh, Daniel Slusser with SRAM, ZIP. Um, any other titles there, Patrick? Uh, uh, no. Uh, just, you know, he's one of the PR specialists. He's now a West Coast-based guy so that they don't always have to fly people out from Indiana. And if you've ever watched an art cyclery, I think it's Ask the Mechanic videos. You know Daniel then, because he used to appear in those all the time. Really a good guy. Do they come with a disc, Patrick? Uh, No, there is not a disc version of this yet. So it's just clincher. Okay. So clincher. um, Quick release. What do you mean? I mean by disc break. That's what I mean. No no disc break version yet. Okay. So they do. In fact, I think that their, their new updated braking surface, though, is on the 454. So um, should have some good stopping power there too. Oh yeah. Uh, some people will. Some people will moan and groan at the price, won't they? <laughs> people are losing yeah. their minds over the price. That you can yeah. buy a whole bike, like one of those aforementioned Raleigh's. Uh, you can buy a whole bike for what this set of wheels costs. You know, but I mean, there's there's always going to be luxury goods out there for people of means. Um, there's no reason not to pursue that. And I like the pursuit of excellence. I find it really interesting. Yeah, well, if the envelope is not pushed, um, then then the product that follows behind it will never will stay stagnant too. And I think, you know, it's probably one of the points with Zip here is they're trying to say, look, we're going to raise the bar on aerodynamics um, and spe- specifically with crosswinds. And then, you know, hopefully other stuff will follow too. That's not $4,000. That'll make other product better in the process too. So yeah, well the fatty science. the the current firecrest, just to jump in real quick, the current firecrest have been dropped, I believe, six hundred dollars in price. So, you know, there are definite benefits to their continuing evolution. Coming up, a shout out for a paceline favorite and of course our paceline picks. In search of a rim shape that enhances aero balance and structural performance. 
Zip Advanced Development Engineers looked outward to nature, to its elegant, efficient, and complex designs, where every fiber and contour is purposely shaped, evolving to not only adapt, but to thrive. But Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, post-election edition. Fatty of FatCyclist.com is here. Patrick Brady of RedKitePrayer.com. I'm Michael Houghton. Guys, a couple of, uh, I think these are kind of disturbing, but um, nonetheless worth telling folks about, especially mountain bikers. You need to watch out for this this type of stuff. Um, First of all, in Colorado, this was in Eagle, Colorado. Nails, barbed wire, and handmade spike strips were discovered hidden along a popular mountain bike trail days before the state high school mountain bike championships were to take place. The witnesses who alerted police to the scene along the trail in Eagle said they found no bikes scrawled in the dirt. The championships drew about 600 riders, went on without incident. No one was reported injured. Um, But this is not the first incident in Colorado. In May, riders in Buffalo Creek rode through Pike National Forest, a little craggy trail, and discovered bricks with nails coming out of them. So I think, guys, it's another reason. First, we probably want to support our local mountain bike folks who get out and work the trails because they can help us root some of this stuff out. But also another reason just to be cautious wherever you're riding. Even though you think you've got the security of being on a trail and away from cars, uh, bad things can happen. Indeed. It's it's scary stuff. Uh, and that this is happening in multiple states now makes it all the more frightening. This is an idea that is spreading. Um, in fact, in British Columbia, a 64-year-old woman was given a suspended sentence for uh, – she was told to do 150 hours of community service. She was caught deliberately sabotaging mountain bike trails outside of Vancouver. Um, she was doing it at night. So what mountain bikers did – and this is something that – you know, we can all police our, our own trails, I suppose. The, the mountain bikers in B.C. set up infrared cameras and caught her setting up logs and rocks across trails that mountain bikers there regularly use. So she got community service for uh, her antics. Hmm. Megan Guangye has earned the Vox Women's Voxy Road Right, I didn't say Foxy, I said Voxy, that's the name of it, Rider of the Year for 2016. The Bulls Dolman's Rider and one-time Paceline guest was selected for the award for her success during the season and for being a role model in the sport of cycling. Uh, we talked to Megan this past spring about the progress being made on the women's side of pro cycling. How does it look from inside the peloton, Megan? Are you guys seeing a change in as far as your exposure? Yes, um, we're seeing a change. Of course, it's not fast enough or enough that we feel right now, but every step counts. And um, for instance, Tour of California took the step to make the women's race four days UCI World Tour, Women's World Tour, and that's huge for us. And that that brought um, all the European teams over to the U.S., and on top of that, they we did have a 30-minute recap of the race, which is more than we've had in the past. Uh, if you wanted to find a, the, if you wanted to follow the race, you had you were lucky to get a Twitter feed. Megan Guarnier is the U.S. national champ. She also won the Giro Rosa and a Tour of California titles this year, uh, and that gave her the uh, Women's World Tour victory for points. Uh, she made it known that she was going for gold in Rio, guys. It didn't happen for Megan, but she was not afraid to put it out there and give it a go. 
another reason she is deserving of Writer of the Year. So congratulations to Megan Guarnier. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Uh, time for our Paceline picks, and certainly Megan could be one of them. Uh, she's our, our our group pick. Let's say that. Megan Guarnier, yeah. the group Paceline pick. <laughs> uh, every show, though, we try to, to root something out of interest and share it with you, and we are going to start with Fatty this time. What do you have for a Paceline pick, buddy? All right, so I am going to pick the weather neck. I don't know if you have heard of this, but it is the latest Kickstarter from... Uh, the g- same guy who brought you the uh, fix-it sticks, which are pretty well-known and pretty well-accepted and in a lot of uh, cyclist uh, jersey pockets. But the weather neck is a breakaway balaclava, right? You put on a uh, um, a hat that has a, a mullet, as he likes to call it, and then a breakaway mask that has a magnetic closure and a mesh uh, breathing area. And it looks like it is going to do a wonderful job of keeping people's faces and heads warm during the popular fat biking season, right? During the winter riding time. Um, It's uh, already funded on Kickstarter, but uh, it's got 21 days to go. Check it out. Uh, Brian Davis is one of those guys who has a lot of clever ideas that after you see him, you go, wow, wish I would have thought of that. And I got to get one. So um, he sent me one, uh, you know, to try out. And I am pretty stoked at the at both the idea and the execution of it. Now, I remember talking to you at the beginning of the Paceline podcast when we first started recording. One of the first shows we talked about was winter training. Mm-hmm. And as I recall, Fatty said at the time, you were adverse to going out in, in the winter weather and training. Is this, does this change things for you? Well, uh, what I'm really averse to is being uncomfortable. I don't like cold ears. I don't like a cold nose. I don't like cold hands. And as equipment progresses, because the bikes are out there to have a great time out in the snow, um, you know, I... I yeah, if there if there's something that is going to help my ears and my nose be less, you know, uncomfortable, then yeah, I'm absolutely w- much more willing to give uh, give riding out in the winter a try. Excellent. We will look for you with your uh, your new headpiece. I'll be the one who <laughs> looks like a ninja. <laughs> ninja rider. Yeah, awesome. It definitely has that look to it. What color is Girl. the device? Black, of course. Oh, okay. Okay, so yeah, full ninja. (laughs) Yeah, full ninja. Uh, My Paceline pick takes me to, takes us, that is, to Copenhagen, where uh, uh, bikes now outnumber cars in the city center. The city authorities have been measuring traffic entering the city uh, with 252,600 cars entering the area compared to 265,000 bikes. That's up by 35,000 since last year. This is the first time that there have been more bikes than cars in the city center since the uh, city started counting in 1970. It's a pretty amazing stuff. The increase comes after a period of significant investment in cycling. What a surprise. Add bike lanes, add bike stuff, more people ride. $149 million has been put towards a development of the city's cycling infrastructure recently. The only weird thing about the survey is, or about this benchmark, is that while cycling is on the rise in Copenhagen, in the city, Everywhere else in Denmark, it, it has been on the decline. So maybe the government there needs to work on what's going out in the more rural areas 
of Denmark. But anyhow, bikes outnumbering cars in uh, downtown Copenhagen. Pretty cool. All right, Patrick, what do you have for us for a Paceline pick? My pick this week is the U.S. Bicycle Hall of Fame. Uh, Their Mm -hmm. induction ceremony for 2016 is coming up this weekend in Davis, California. And uh, their four, uh, their their class of 2016, the four people being inducted are uh, Mari Holden for modern road and track competitor. She, the former world champion and many, many multi, uh, multiple uh, national champion. Um, and Steve Larson, um, unfortunately deceased off-road competitor and also one-time roadie. He's being inducted um, for veteran road and track. It's uh, Lee Barzuski. And um, Robin Morton is uh, a former uh, team manager and team director from back in the 80s. And uh, she uh, is, the, uh, is being inducted under the contributor to the sport category. Um, so this is, um, this is going to be a pretty neat thing. I've got a lot of respect for the people who've been, uh, uh, selected this year. And, uh, this will actually be the first time I've ever gotten to attend the actual ceremony. So I'm excited to go. Davis, because of Davis's, uh, you know, it's a great cycling community. Is that why they're holding an event there? I, I would think that would be the case. Well, they, they moved the hall of fame there, uh, from, uh, from New Jersey uh, oh, okay. a few years back, and yeah, there was uh, there was a national search process, and the city of Davis uh, has a lot of pride about uh, its its uh, ties to the cycling community, and rightly and, so. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, it's a it's a pretty bike friendly community as they go. Lots and of bike so, paths there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so they they actively sought. Um, you know, pursued uh, the Bicycling Hall of Fame to to get them to move to Davis. And so uh, it's, you know, it's a better location now. Um, it gets visited more often. You know, it's uh, it draws people from, uh, from a, a greater area uh, in terms of visitors and whatnot. So, um, yeah, this will be a, a pretty neat thing. Cool. As long as, uh, as, long as the inductees are... are- you know, more interesting than what we get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a bit of a screwy mess, but sounds like we've got four. It's four, right? We have four yes. going in this year. So four uh, deserving people going into the, the Bicycle Hall of Fame. Yeah, awesome. no, right. no question. Good. Love that. Uh, the pace line can be found on the pages of RaidKitePrayer.com. So we want to check in again with Patrick. What do you got going on RKP, Patrick? Um. Let's see. Uh, got a couple of bike reviews coming up. Um, boy, uh, I'm drawing an absolute blank. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Maybe I can help. Uh, yeah. You're, oh, yeah. Those green shoes are yours. <laughs> the green shoes of mine are going up. That's right. I'll have a review on the North Wave Extremes. They're very green, but they're a very good pair of sho- Italian shoes. I love them a lot. Um, you do have a review, Patrick, of, or a review, but uh, at least a, a written piece about the zip wheels. That was the interview we heard earlier in the show. Yes, the, the piece about the 454s is already posted, and uh, looming as well is a review of the 303 NSWs. Okay, so a little companion review there. Uh, you have a review of the Specialized, I think it's the Recon shoe? Yep. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm just helping you along here. That's all. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Uh, We're yeah. all a little out of it today, folks. Sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, specialized recon shoes. So if you're into adventure riding, uh, looking for something with a little softer sole. The, the mullet of footwear, shoes. yes. The <laughs> mullet of footwear. Yeah, I liked how you put that. Okay, so cool. And then I have a, a, a ride up on the Nosco ride, yeah, uh, oh, which cool. is a local ride, a local excellent ride here that, that's well attended. They hold it on the date of Mike Nosco's um, Death. He was killed here locally while out on a bike ride. They don't care if the date falls on a weekend or weekday. That's when the event is. It's one of the, actually the neat things about the event, an appropriate way to honor somebody. Okay, Fatty at FatCyclist.com. Your list of excellent things. What do you have on your site? <laughs> well, I am writing uh, right now about encounters I've had with e-bikes while on regular bikes uh got one up there right now it's kind of uh kind of fun being overtaken by an e-bike and uh being chased by an e-bike it was kind of fun um chased uh yeah yeah um we uh we were out on a little bit of a hammer fest last weekend and there was a guy who uh was on our tail for most of a long long climb and has a it has kind of a fun ending uh this is not at all a a, a slam on e-bikes because I thought the ending was uh, how, how it ended and how we found out that he was actually on an e-bike. I thought was actually kind of cute. So check it oh, out. Okay. I am also going to explain to everyone why your tires go flat. That's coming up soon. Why your tires go flat. Yeah. Okay. For once and for all. All right. Good. Uh, show notes and links uh, can also be found at redkiteprayer.com. So again, Check out the site. Uh, leave us a comment, too. We always appreciate, appreciate that. Uh, Google Music, Stitcher, iTunes, the other places you can uh, download and subscribe to the Pace Line. Give us a rating while you're at it. Okay, uh, let's go for a ride. Let's clear our heads. Be safe, everyone. Be kind to each other. And we'll talk to you next time on the Pace Line. And the leaf blower gets closer. Hopefully by the time we're recording, he will have moved on and won't be um, audible.